All right, friends, if you would, take your Bible and open to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. We are continuing our study through the book of Galatians, and this morning we have made it to to chapter 3, so if you're watching with us at home and you're continuing to work through that little Galatians journal that you might have in front of you, or you get your kids have your Bible open in front of you, open to Galatians chapter 3, you all know that in life, there is good chaos and bad chaos. Uh, sometimes it's chaos and everything feels out of control. Sometimes it's chaos and you're like, oh, that's good energy. This morning feels like good chaos because I've been running around. I just came in the back door a couple of minutes ago thinking I sure hope the music is still going uh, when I walk in, that, walk in that back door. Helping people find places for Sunday school this morning. Helping people get connected. It's fun to have people back on campus. I know many of you at home are, are really looking forward to being back. And we want you to take your time. Know that we're going to care for you in every way we can. If you're a little concerned about coming back, we've said before this 915 option is, is a good option. It's a great way to be able to connect with people and feel like you'll have uh, the ability to, to, uh, to spread out. Um, let me say one thing. If you guys can back up a slide to that uh, orange guest slide. If you're watching at home and you're a guest of ours or you're here in the room and, and you're a guest as well or there's a way we can pray for you, if you would just text the word welcome, so just send one word text message, the word welcome to 451-1400 or if you're looking for the zip or the area code 405-451-1400. If you'll just send the word welcome, that will get a message out to us and we'd love to be able to encourage you, minister to you however we can. If you don't know me, my name is Owen and I'm one of the pastors here And again, we're just excited to be able to worship together. Let me read the text for us this morning out of Galatians chapter 3. We're just going to do the first five verses this morning. So let me read that for us, and then we're going to study God's word together. Here's what Paul says. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law Or by hearing with faith. I know Jaron just prayed for us, but I'd like to pray for us as well right now as we get into this time. Let's pray with me for a moment here. Father, in this moment, I pray that you would take my own heart and mind. God, help me to to slow down, uh, to focus. God, thank you for the gift of what it means that we gather as a church. We want to be so careful that we never treat this this as just a religious checkbox. God, we want to be so careful that we never take lightly what it means that we can connect through technology, through the internet. God, thank you for the people that are watching at home and have continued to do so. God, thanks for so many families and so many little kids that are in Sunday school this morning and so excited about being back with their friends in class. God, thank you for the gift of that. Father, we give ourselves to you right now. God, work in our lives through your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, imagine with me as we start out today uh, that 
either you are 16 and you've just gotten a car for the first time, or maybe if it's easier to think about it, you've gotten a car for your kids or your grandkids, and so they're excited. They finally got their car. They finally got the license. Uh, probably not a new car, though I do see some kids get new cars, but most of us, it just barely got down the road when it came to having your, having your first vehicle. And you tell your kids, I'll fill up the gas tank this first time. This is your first time out. I'll fill up the gas tank after this. It's on you. So they go out. They take the car out. And then a couple of days later, you see your kids out with the car, and they're behind the car pushing it. And you're like, oh man, maybe something's gone wrong. Like maybe something broke down. This car was guaranteed to break down anyway. Maybe something's gone wrong. And so you go up to your kids and you say, why are you pushing the car? And they say, well, it ran out of gas. And you say, well, you know you have to put more gas in it. Like one tank of gas doesn't take you forever. You have to put more gas in it. And they're like, uh, no, I think I'm just going to push it now. Thanks for the car. I'll just push it from here on out. You would, that's the most ridiculous thing that, that I've ever heard of. Can I tell you that in some way we do that spiritually? That there's a spiritual reality behind that silly story. And I want to show that to you from Galatians chapter 3, what Paul is talking about right here. Here's what he says in Galatians chapter 3 verse 1. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Now we're going to punt those first two questions for a couple of minutes. We'll come back around to them. Look at the end of, of verse 1. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. What's Paul talking about here? He is talking about when the Galatians first heard the gospel, when they first came to faith in Christ. That word publicly portrayed is a really fun New Testament word, Greek word going on there. It's the type of word that was used in the ancient world for what we think of as billboards. So one day down the road when Norman gets the Bucky's that's coming in at some point and we have to see Bucky's billboards coming north on I-35 from the Texas line all the way to Norman, all those billboards that are going to be out there, that's this word here. It was the idea of something being publicly portrayed. You can't miss it. Here it is. Now you say, but it says here, before your eyes Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified, did the Galatians actually see Jesus being crucified? No, they, they didn't see that. So how can Paul say this? Well, in the ancient world, it was known that if you were a great storyteller, think about somebody in your life who's a great storyteller. Uh, I think about my granddad who passed several years ago. He told these incredible stories. He even wrote down the stories and left them behind so my kids can read them. They love to read them at night, just all of his stories. Who knows if they were true or not? They probably weren't, but he was a good, he was a good storyteller. Somebody who writes well or tells stories well can put you in that scene. And so for the people that Paul is speaking to, he has preached to them about cru Christ crucified to the point that he can even say before your eyes, Christ has been crucified. You know the reality of this. And we know from Paul's preaching that Christ crucified is the core of his message. That he is not out to tell people they need to get their life together. He is out to say that Jesus died for you in your place. That this is the core. That he is resolved to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why? Because our only hope in life is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. That phrase, that message will sound very strange to someone 
who doesn't believe in the things of God, who's very uncertain about Christianity. But let's not forget that our hope is found in the cross of Christ because, because we have two problems that we could never fix on our own. If you're watching on the internet or watching at home, this is the simplest way I know to explain Christianity. We have two problems we can never fix on our own, sin and death. We can never get out of our sin on our own, and we can never escape the reality of death. But on the cross, Jesus dealt with both of those. He took our sin. He took our sin upon himself, and he died in our place, ultimately to rise again so we don't have to live in fear of death. So Paul knows, for the Galatians, two problems they can never fix on their own, sin and death. In the cross of Christ, Jesus dealt with both of them. And this word crucified that shows up here in verse 1, the way the word is presented is it's not just a historical fact, but it's something that happened in the past that continues to have significance today. I know you're not particularly concerned about why that's the case with the Greek verb, but it's this really cool type of word that says this happened in the past, but it continues to have significance today. If you've grown up around church and been around church a long time, we have to guard our hearts that we don't grow bored or callous to the message of the crucifixion of Jesus, right? You hear about the cross, you hear about the gospel, and if we're not careful, we just kind of let it slide off of you. I've heard heard that before. No, no, no. (laughs) This may have happened in the past, but that's not something I grow bored of. What Jesus did on the cross, it impacts my life today. And so Paul says, this has been put before you. Now, verse 2, look at what happens in verse 2. He says, let me ask you this. I got a question for you. Man, isn't that a setup from your parents? Hey, I just have one question for you. Um, Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by doing works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, if you go back to the Old Testament, And you look ahead to what God was going to do among his people. When God's promised Messiah came, when the new covenant came, when all of God's promises came fulfilled, the sign that that was happening is that the Holy Spirit would come upon the people of God. You read Acts chapter 2 in your Bible, and that's what begins to happen. For Paul, the distinguishing mark of being a Christian is not the t-shirt you wear, it's the Holy Spirit at work within you. And I say that only half kiddingly. Sometimes we confuse what the mark of Christianity is in in our lives. For Paul and for the scriptures, the mark of Christianity in our lives is the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And Paul says, well, how did the Holy Spirit, how did you receive that? Not by doing works of the law. Not by proving yourself, but by hearing the message of Jesus and believing. Receiving the Holy Spirit is not a special experience that happens after salvation. When you trust in Jesus, when you receive that salvation, you receive the Holy Spirit. And get this as well, receiving the Holy Spirit is not something reserved for people who are super religious or super pious. Sometimes we think, man, I would really love the Holy Spirit to work in my life. I've got some problems. I could use the work of the Holy Spirit. Maybe one day I'll achieve that. No, that's exactly the opposite of what Paul is saying here. He is saying that when you hear about the good news of Jesus and you receive that by faith, you receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 3, if that's true, Paul says, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected 
by the flesh. Having begun your Christian life driving the car, are you now pushing it on your own? (laughs) Your Christianity that began with faith in Christ, all these things that God wants to do in your life, yes, like as a little kid at Vacation Bible School, I believe in Jesus, I trust in him to take care of my sins, and now 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years down the road, you're pushing the car. Paul says, how are you perfected in your Christian life? Is it by doing these works of the flesh No, it began with the Spirit, and it will continue with the Spirit. Verse 4, Paul says, Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Depending on the translation you're reading from, whether at home or here in the room, depending on the translation, your translation might say experience there. I think suffer is particularly a good translation there. It's a word that commonly comes over to us as, as suffering, because what Paul is saying here is as a Christian, Galatians, you've been through a lot. You've suffered through a lot by trusting in Jesus. Why in the world would you back away from that now? Jesus has brought you through so many things in life. Why would you now try to take control of your life? Think about this in your own family, in your own life. Look back at your life and think about everything that God has brought you through up to this point. Why in the world would we try to take over at this point? Amanda and I have had this conversation multiple times in our marriage. We'll reach a situation in life that feels so hard and so difficult and so uncertain, and you start to panic a little bit because here's a new stage of life, here's a new season of life, here's a new situation. What are we going to do? And in that moment, what do you do? You look back. And you say, God, you were faithful there. The only way I made it through that situation is by your power, by your spirit, by trusting in you. Why am I tempted to retake my life now when I reach another situation? Paul says, keep trusting him. You started out by trusting him. Don't try to take over your own life now when you got into this situation. Verse 5. Does he... He's asking a lot of questions here. Um, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do this by your works of the law, or does he do it by hearing with faith? Paul's saying you've seen God work in powerful ways among you. Is that work happening because of how great you are, or is that work happening because you've trusted in Christ? Now, when you hear this language here about supplying the Spirit and especially working miracles, remember that Paul doesn't always equate miracles with what we might consider a physical external miracle. It's miraculous when a person who has a bitter, greedy personality is transformed into a gentle, kind, and loving person. That's a work, a miraculous work of the Spirit. At the same time, Paul is definitely talking about what we would consider miracles. He says that when God is doing things in your midst that you could never explain on your own, did that happen because you were such a great person and you proved your worth to him? Or did that happen because you trusted in him? Because you heard the goodness of God, you trusted in that and said, Lord, my faith is in you. Now, I know that's a lot to cover. Let's take a quick breath here. Let me show you the progression that we just went through in case we got lost somewhere along the way. This is the progression of the Christian life that Paul has laid out for the people. He says you need to see the cross, 
hear the gospel. It begins at, at that point. Then you have faith in Jesus. Six-year-old at vacation Bible school, 25-year-old trying to figure out your way in life, 50-year-old, whatever the case might be, you have faith in Jesus. And when you have faith in Jesus, you receive God's Spirit. His Spirit comes to dwell and work in your life. You experience the power and the miracles of God. You see God's work, uh, God's power at work. You suffer and experience many things, and then you continue in faith to the end. This is what God designed and desires for our lives. How could that possibly go wrong? Verse 1, what we skipped early on, and I hit my hand on the table. That hurt worse than I thought it would. But um, verse 1, what does Paul say here? He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? All right, let's deal with the word foolish first. Paul It's picking up on the Old Testament use of the word foolish. The word foolish in the Old Testament is used a lot by the prophets. The prophets will call the people foolish almost always, not always, but almost always when they are going after idols. So if you look at the Old Testament prophets, they will call people foolish when they're going after idols, when they're trying to run after other gods than the one true God. The other place in the Old Testament that you see the word foolish showing up is in what we call the wisdom literature. Think especially Psalms and Proverbs. You'll see the term foolish showing up there. And when fool shows up in those situations, it's either because we're not believing in God or it's because you're walking along the path of life, the good life that God has laid out for you, and it would be foolish to follow someone else off that path. So you think about uh, your, your teenagers or your college students. Here's the path of life. Hey guys, stay on this. This is the good life. This is what God has designed for you. Go this way. And somebody comes along and says, oh, you don't want to go that way. No, 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 no. Come with us over here. And all of the Psalms and the Proverbs in the Old Testament are waving their hands saying, no, 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 don't go that way. That's not the way of life. It would be foolish to go after that. Paul says that's what the Galatians are doing. They're running after something other than the good things God has provided. Why? Who has bewitched you? Now, here is a fun New Testament word. This is a word that was used in the ancient world for casting a spell on someone, casting a curse on someone. Particularly, and I love this part, it was you cast this curse or you cast this spell on someone using the evil eye. If you don't know what the evil eye is, just think about your mom. (laughs) Or don't look at your spouse, but think about your mom. Uh, you, You cast the evil eye on someone, you're casting a curse on them. And and in the ancient world, people would wear these amulets around their neck to deflect the evil eye that, that might be cast on them. Now Paul is living in an ancient world that is that is full of dark magic. And you think about some of the resurgence of dark magic in in our world, and where does this line between dark magic and superstition uh, come in? We lived, as you know, and I probably talk about too often, we lived in New Orleans for several years, and when you would go down to the French Quarter, and and you would see the tarot card readers, and you would see the tables there around Jackson Square, there was kind of a general feeling about half of those people were just total crooks, 
And the other half, you're like, ah, that feels like dark magic. <laughs> that feels like, you know, superstition is when in baseball you jump over the first baseline as you're running out to the pitcher's mound because you, nobody ever steps on the first baseline. Or, or superstition is when you get one of those ridiculous like Facebook messages or emails that says, if you don't pass this on, something bad is going to happen to you. There is no greater joy in life that I get than not passing on those emails <laughs> or, those, or those Facebook messages. If you don't share this, it's going to be taken down. Good, watch me not share it. Um, so there's, there's fake magic, but there's also dark magic. There's also dark spiritual forces at work that desire control. And Paul says you are being bewitched. But this word, even if it's not used maybe in that literal sense, metaphorically, the idea behind this word is that you've been fascinated by something else. You've been hypnotized by something else. You're taking your kids or your grandkids to the mall and you're going down and they are hypnotized by the candy store <laughs> or they are hypnotized by those little $5 machines that you ride around in the, in the mall. Or they're, it's this idea in a cartoon where you see the character's eyes start to rotate when they've been hypnotized and they're just drawn into something. Paul says that is what has happened to you, Galatians. You were living the Christian life. You were walking down this really great path that God had in front of you and you have been hypnotized by something that is not of the Lord. And doesn't it hurt when you see your friends or your family look like they're being drawn away from the Lord to something else? And with everything in you, you're saying, no, don't go that way. I know it looks good. I know it seems appealing, but do not give yourself to that. It's not the way of the Lord. What Paul is talking about here is anything in life that fascinates us and draws us away from the cross of Christ. Where is your life found? Is it found in trusting in the cross of Christ, or is it found in running after something else? Maybe if I can ask the question in a more direct, painful, difficult way. What fascinates you more than the goodness of God shown to us through Jesus Christ? Is there something that grabs your attention, that pulls you away, that takes you away from the way of Christ? That is what Paul is pleading with the Galatians not to go after. Don't, don't go that direction. I think particularly he's concerned that they're always looking for something more. This is a danger in our world that people are always looking for something more. Man, if I could just find the next thing or if I could just do the next thing, then I would be made right with God. Or this focus on externals, this idea that I don't really know that I'm following the way of God because it's, it's not visibly apparent. Part of what was appealing to the Galatians about following the works of the flesh and the works of the law is it was so obvious whether you were doing it or not. Um, I had a professor in college, actually in seminary. I had a professor in seminary who he said oftentimes as a teacher, and those of you that teach, you, you feel this probably, he would go home sometimes and just cut his grass to prove to himself that he accomplished something that day. <laughs> so when you're a teacher or when you're a professor, when you're in that type of job, you do your job and you get to the end of the day and you think, did I make any impact? <laughs> like, like, I don't visibly see that I did anything today. And so sometimes you just gotta cut the grass to prove to yourself I really did something today. In religion, in religion, we are so tempted to determine the quality of our religious life based on externals as opposed to internals. 
I think this is sometimes why a more, and I say this word carefully, but, a, but maybe why a more legalistic form of religion can be appealing to people is because you can check off these external boxes. Yeah, I did that, I did that, I look like that, I look like that, therefore I must be good. Where Paul is saying the work that God wants to do, it's an internal work that may take years to show up. <laughs> I'm bitter and greedy. God's spirit dealing with me may take a long time. And I may not have a lot of boxes or externals that I can check off. And I may not have a t-shirt I can wear that says, now look at me, I'm peaceful and kind and gentle. But the work that God wants to do in your life is so, so powerful. Let me give you this phrase that really just sort of encapsulates everything we've talked about this morning. Here's the phrase. What began by faith must continue in faith. What began with faith must continue with faith. If you are thinking about your life, if you're thinking about your Christian life, let this phrase from Galatians 3 guide you. Your Christian life began with faith. You didn't get your life together. You didn't prove yourself worthy. You didn't do these works of the law. You trusted in the good news of Jesus. It began with faith, so it has to continue with faith. Let's work out a couple of applications from this. Think about your own life first. So let's think about our own life. My life with Christ began in faith and needs to continue in faith. What does that look like? In your life, just think about what direction is my life trending? Trending is a very trendy term in in 2020. Like you think about the graph, a, a trend on a graph. What direction is my life trending? Is my life trending toward a lot of religious rules, a lot of bitterness, a lot of division, a lot of boredom, or is my life trending toward faith? The older I get, the further along I get in this Christian life, am I living with more faith or less faith? Faith. Am I living with more gentleness or less gentleness? Am I living with more peace or less peace? One of the greatest gifts is being a part of a multi-generational church where you're able to see older people in the faith who as they grow older, don't grow bitter or grumpy or divisive, but they grow gracious and peaceful and holy and full of joy. And to a guy my age with a young family, Man, there's just nothing better than that, to know that the further they got along in life, the more they live by faith, not the less they live by faith. When you think about your family, you got married, you had kids, man, we're going to live by faith. Our family is going to be about the things of faith. And then you get through toddler years and elementary years, and you try to survive teenage years, and you get into empty nest years and college years, and you think, the direction of our family Did we continue to grow in faith or did we reach a point that religion just became checkboxes? Like, guys, let's just look good on the outside. Let's just try to hold this together. Or is the direction of our marriage moving toward more faith? Are we continuing to say, God, what do you want to do in and through us that we could never do on our own? Think about church life. The thing that I just come back to over and over about Emmaus that I love so much is Emmaus got started in the mid-80s because of a step of faith from First Baptist Moore. Boyd Rayburn, Paul Box, that group of people at First Moore who said, 
we need to take a step of faith and we need a church on the southwest side of town where maybe one day a bunch of houses will grow up and it'll become a key area. Let's, let's take that step of faith. And they did. And man, aren't we glad they did. Because we live now in that legacy of faith that those people at First Baptist in the mid-80s had. Here's my nightmare as a pastor. That what began in faith, and I don't know why I feel emotional about this, but I do. That what began in faith would not continue in faith. That an act of faith in God's goodness would establish Emmaus, but that we would not continue with that same faith. And, and man, I feel that deeply, that that would be true of us. Uh, there's a trend in churches that you always have to watch out for. My little arrow's held in a little bit there. So uh, there's a trend in churches where you move from mission to ministries to maintenance to memorials. And here's what I mean by that trend. A church starts out, man, we have a mission from God and we are gonna go fulfill this. <laughs> and then you're like, you know, we probably need to put a few ministries in place just to make sure things run really well. And then before you know it, your goal becomes maintaining those ministries that were put in place. And then before you know it, your goal becomes, let's just not mess up the memorials that were put in place. And do you feel that need that in church life, we're always pushing back toward mission. We're always saying, no, 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 we're gonna live by faith. God, move us back that direction to what you want to do through us, that what began in faith will continue in faith. 2020, I don't know how your 2020 started, uh, but, but many of us had to respond with acts of faith, and, and man, our church responded really well. My concern as a pastor, and, and frankly, just as a person, is that a year that required a lot of faith at the beginning, man, let's not lose that faith at the end. We showed a lot of faith, a lot of flexibility, a lot of teamwork, a lot of unity. That was true in March. I hope that's true in November. God, let us continue to move toward faith. Final slide, let's talk about this. If that's true of my life, how can I do that? What, what does it look like to continue to move toward faith? My life is moving maybe into a new season of life. Maybe you're getting ready to start something new. Maybe you're going through a hard situation at home. God, you brought me to this point in faith. How do I continue to live in faith in the days ahead? Remember the gospel. Do not lose sight of what God has done in your life and what he wants to continue to do in your life. Sometimes the best thing you can do in the morning is just wake up and preach the gospel to yourself again. <laughs> I'm not gonna wake up today and spend my life trying to prove myself right with God. I'm gonna wake up today and say, Lord, I trust you. <laughs> Lord, remind me of how good you are. You're my hope today. Remember the gospel, read the Bible, what do we find in the Bible over and over and over again? Stories of faith, stories of faith, stories of faith. Next week, we're gonna look at Abraham, story of faith. As you read the Bible, you don't read the Bible and find a bunch of religious external checkboxes that, hey, if I do this, everything's okay. You read scripture and you find faith in love, faith in action. Connect with the church. The calling of the church is that we would mutually encourage one another's faith. Amanda and I have this little ongoing joke in, in marriage and parenting is you can have a bad day and I can have a bad day. We can't have a bad day on the same day. <laughs> uh, marriage and parenting don't work well when we have a bad day on the same day. It's fine if you have a bad day. It's fine if I have a bad day. It just can't happen on the same day. The gift of church is that when you're having a bad day or a bad year or a bad decade, 
and you feel like your faith is really weak, man, there is no greater gift in life than to have a friend at church who says, I'm not gonna let you quit. Like, I am there with you. I'll be in your back pocket. I care for you. I'm gonna check on you. We are gonna continue ahead together as the church. And then the joy that comes from that is we find out what it means to be filled with the Spirit. If you wanna know what that looks like, it's not happening this morning. <laughs> That's gonna be the two months in front of us finishing out the book of Galatians, two or three months in front of us. What does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? Here's all I wanna leave with you today. Your hope in life, your hope for eternity, your hope for the future is based on faith in Christ. Don't spend your life pushing the car. Don't spend your life trying to do on your own what God wants to do in and through you. That's true for you. It's true for me. It's true for us as a church. Let's make that commitment in prayer. And then after we finish, I'll stay down here at the front and I would love to pray with you if you need someone to pray with you. Let's pray together and we're gonna wrap up. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. I, I think about this idea that if we just put life in, in neutral, <laughs> if we put the car in neutral, uh, if we just drift along, oftentimes we find ourselves fascinated and drawn away by everything except the one path to true life, which is the cross of Christ. God, I pray for people who are going through hard situations this morning. God, I pray for people who are in life transitions. God, I pray especially for people who, even though they would be embarrassed to admit it, maybe they've grown a little bored or tired or complacent about Christianity. God, the gift of your word this morning is just to remind us of what you want to do in our lives through faith. God, let us be people of faith, not fear. Move our church ahead in that way. God, let us be a church of faith. And God, together in this moment, we make this commitment together as your people. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.